Hey folks. Well, another impeachment trial in the books. The Senate voted to acquit former President Trump by a margin of 57 to 43, but not before some last-minute drama on Saturday when the House managers decided to call witnesses only to stand down and move forward with a vote on conviction. Before the vote, House managers and Trump's legal team spent the week arguing their respective cases before the Senate, and let's just say some of the arguments were much stronger than others. But Trump isn't exactly home free. Despite the Senate's acquittal, he still faces possible criminal charges. Prosecutors around the country have opened investigations into his efforts to overturn the election results, his involvement in the Capitol insurrection, and his personal business dealings. Ann Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. So there was a bit of drama on Saturday morning, and my view of how the House managers addressed it has evolved as more information has come out and as I've thought about it. So I woke up a little bit later than I wanted on Saturday morning to the news that there had been a vote on witnesses. And remember, there had been no witnesses at this trial, and it's kind of odd, any trial that you and I are familiar with, there are witnesses. In fact, jurors are instructed that what the lawyers say is not evidence. Only what the witnesses say and the documents that come in are evidence. And at this trial, it was basically the lawyers talking. And you can make an argument that there was you know, very little evidence that was actually admitted at the Senate trial. So there's a vote that passes for witnesses. And then, you know, you and I were texting. <laughs> Part of the team was texting about what our plans would be, changing our recording plans. Because if they're going to have witnesses, and there was some discussion of having a lot of witnesses, and then the Republicans said that they wanted even more witnesses, 100 witnesses or more, this trial would be going on for a long time. And my bias is in favor of more evidence, in favor of witnesses, notwithstanding the other Same. business. Same, mine, mine as well. Yeah, notwithstanding yeah. the other business that the Senate has to do. And it would have been interesting. And then that's dashed in minutes when the House Democrats look like they're only seeking the, the testimony of that Congresswoman, uh, Herrera Butler, who was privy to a conversation between Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump on January 6th, in which the president made it very clear he didn't care what was happening. He kind of liked what was happening on January 6th. And then that witness was never called. They agreed to a stipulation that she would testify in a particular way. The Republicans were not conceding the truth of her testimony, but that it could be admitted. And then they proceeded almost immediately to a vote on conviction. And a lot of people were critical. I was critical uh, privately, you know, with, with you and with our team. Initially, I've softened on that a little bit for a variety of reasons. And before I get to them, I'm wondering what you thought about that decision. Well, I'm probably aligned with where you are. I did think that they should have witnesses before the trial started. I thought it was a mistake the way that they'd done the rules because there are there are just a lot of questions that we don't have the answers to. And without witnesses, particularly when it comes to what Trump did on January 6th, it's just incredibly difficult to be able to answer those questions. And so 
I was a believer that witnesses could be helpful. I, I do understand the institutional pressures. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. The economy is horrifically bad. And so I, I did think there was a way, though, to balance those two things, to have some witnesses but not have have a months-long trial. What I didn't like about Saturday, and and I would give a lot of credit to the House managers for having done an excellent job, but this was a little, it was a little sloppy the way it rolled out. And part of that, and you and I have both tried a lot of cases, there are times where something happens unexpectedly. I mean, I've I've literally gone looking for witnesses in the middle of trial and asked the judge, you know, can I have 15 more minutes to see if somebody walks in the door? So trials are dynamic. But I, I think a couple of things happen. One is that once they didn't set it up to call witnesses at the beginning, and a lot of Democratic senators didn't want witnesses, they had a really high hurdle to get over to to sort of start calling witnesses. And the second thing is that the way they they sort of didn't know where the support was or what the what the full number of votes would be. And again, I understand it's a dynamic moment, but it did not look great to basically have a vote where you had a number of Republicans who had just asked questions about Trump's conduct on January 6th. You had a number of Republicans asking those questions who vote in favor of having witnesses along with the Democrats only to come back with a sworn statement going into evidence that, you know, maybe they should have asked for up front instead of asking for her as a witness. The other piece of this is that as important as I thought Representative Jamie Herrera Butler's testimony was, she was relaying a conversation she had with Kevin McCarthy. So the obvious evidence that you would want, ideally, would be McCarthy, either a written statement or in person. I mean, a written statement would have been the better, more likely way to have gotten it. But so it did feel like I don't want to hold it too much against them because I think these things are dynamic and happen. And ultimately, they did get her written statement. But I thought it could have been handled better. And I did actually think that there was evidence that would have been relevant it may not have changed the minds of the senators, but that's not, you know, I don't think anyone went into this trial thinking that it was likely that Donald Trump was going to be convicted. I think, we, you know, we said clearly it was always going to be a high hurdle. And I think the trial was a much, as much for us as Americans, us as the jurors, as it was as it was for the senators. Yeah, there's something else going on here, too. And I think maybe the mistake was, you know, optics and messaging. And a lot of people got their hopes up when they thought there were going to be witnesses and they got their hopes dashed. When they entered into the stipulation, one of the things that was going on, apparently, was that they were looking for witnesses. And they, they contacted some people who they perceived, correctly, I'm sure, to be hostile to the House manager position and allies of the president who wouldn't have been friendly, who weren't going to engage in a, sort of a pre-testimony interview, or who might have objected. And there would have been fights about that. And that is a problematic position to be in if you were trying to prosecute a case like the House managers were. And the second point that they've made, which I think they're owed some deference on, is was it going to change anyone's mind if you had additional witnesses? And I know you and I think that that's not the only purpose here, that the purpose is to uh, establish the truth and make sure that there's transparency and understand what's going on. But the time that would have gone by to try to compel some of these folks' testimony, I mean, Delegate Plaskett has pointed out multiple times that they're still in court and in litigation, arguing over the testimony of Don McGahn, the former White House counsel to Donald Trump. And the combination of factors, you didn't really need it because we had overwhelming evidence. They were hostile and they weren't going to be helpful at trial anyway. The amount of time it might have taken to get this testimony, all of it combined to get them to be satisfied with this one thing they wanted, the introduction of this indirect evidence 
from Congresswoman Butler, there have been these swirling stories about whether or not there was pressure brought to bear from the White House because they want to get on with their agenda, or from Senate leaders, including Senator Schumer, because they wanted to get on with the agenda. The parties have all denied that was the case. So I take folks at their word and that this was the House manager's decision. I mean, Jamie Raskin said, you know, with with some amount of feeling at their post-acquittal press conference that he made the decision. It was his call. It wasn't Nancy Pelosi's call or the leadership's call. And if there's anyone to blame, it was him. And I accept that. Yeah, I do too. I I would add two points. One on your point about messaging and how it was handled. I do think you're right. Unless witnesses were willing to come, it would have been very, very difficult to get to get them in person. I, you know, whether you could have gotten a sworn statement or not, I think it would have also been very difficult in a number of circumstances. But one of the issues is that it looked like they didn't try, right? And so in in some ways, they'd invited Trump to testify before the trial began. And there was an argument, I think, that they should have invited Kevin McCarthy and Mike Pence, all of whom would have declined, but they would have made at least made the effort to get that testimony about January 6th. Again, I mean, we're, we're sort of quibbling about something that I think it's very fair, the way they handled it and the decisions they made. I think it's really hard to sort of second guess them because again, I think I think your your read on the situation is right. There there just there really wasn't a path for them forward. And you can't put an impeachment hold on a trial on hold for six months. And so that just wasn't realistic. The other thing I'd say is that one of the things that was reported over the weekend was that two of the Democratic senators, Manchin from West Virginia and Angus King, who's a he's an independent from Maine but votes with the Democrats, had said that they wanted there to be equal numbers of Democrat and Republican witnesses. And that made it partisan. And so instead of saying we want all the all the witnesses who are relevant to be allowed to testify, sort of just saying, we get to call any two people you we want and you get to call any two people you want, it would have added to the sort of food fight aspect to this. And it, it it's not clear to me that anyone would have been able to sort of control this sort of question of who has relevant information about what happened on January 6th. And so it might have been just spinning a little bit out of control to the point where Raskin, again, I said this at the beginning, I thought he did a really good job of staying focused on what the goal was. This was an instance where I think they wanted the evidence of the McCarthy call. They took what they could get. And in hindsight, I I sort of have softened on it too. On Saturday, I sort of thought, why do we just, you know, it was sort of like whiplash, right? Like we weren't having witnesses, then we were, then we were getting a sworn statement. It all felt a little bit odd. Um, but but in sort of the light of day sitting here on Tuesday, I, I think it was the right call the way they ultimately did it. <clears throat> yeah, part of what was going on was the president's side was saying, witnesses? You want witnesses? We want 100 witnesses. And I think there were photographs of at least one Trump aide walking around with a long list that was visible to some folks. And I'm imagining, I don't really mean this, but I'm imagining they had like Karl Marx on the list and George Soros on the list. And it was going to get it to be, you know, a gigantic, messy food fight. You know, before we go, we should talk about the final vote. And I know some people are disappointed that Trump wasn't convicted. But 57 votes is not nothing. It's a majority not a supermajority. Bipartisan. bipartisan, the most bipartisan Senate conviction vote of any president in history. And in the process, by the way, McConnell didn't vote in favor of conviction, but you had him basically saying the House had proven its case. He widely swung open the door to future criminal liability that Donald Trump hasn't gotten away with any of this yet. He said it very pointedly. That's the number one Republican in the Senate. The number three Republican in the House, Liz Cheney, voted in favor of impeachment. And you had the the Republican nominee for president before Trump, Mitt Romney, 
now a Republican senator, also vote in favor of impeachment. So you have significant establishment figures who in one way or another have said publicly that Donald Trump was responsible for inciting a violent insurrection at the Capitol. That's not nothing. Now, the question on McConnell, you know, Nancy Pelosi got very mad at McConnell, and understandably so, because notwithstanding the helpful things that he said, his vote was not helpful, but what he said, I, I, I take what he said, and I think it's helpful to the cause of holding Donald Trump accountable. In lots of different ways. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.